The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. He is the senior editor at Future Sox. I'm the lead editor at FutureSox.com. We are part of SoxMachine.com. It is that time of year, preseason top 30 list at Future Sox, 2023 edition. So much has happened, and we're going to get right into it as the list is available at Future Sox and SoxMachine.com. I just wanted to piece through it by fives here as we go through our top 30, James. And I mean, the consensus was Colson Montgomery at number one. We had a number of our writers participate in the list in creating this list. Thanks to Jason Lowenthal, Steve Hasman, aka Sleepy Harold, Jeff Fairer, Josh Nelson, of course, yourself and myself, as we were able to uh, figure out a list, a top 30 list of the Chicago White Sox prospects. Now, we should also mention that we get a lot of our information from those uh, who acquire their uh, scouting reports from in-person looks or their industry sources, and that includes Major League Baseball Pipeline, Baseball Prospectus, Baseball America, Prospects Live. There are so many options out there and valuable resources, so we want to give credit to them. And we take all that information together, what we know, those that we talk to uh, across the industry as well, and this is where we are. So if you want to browse the list as we talk through it here on the podcast, feel free. Again, access it on futuresocks.com. Search Chicago White Sox, Future Sox, top 30 list, and it'll pop up for you uh, in your search engine. So, James, our top five includes Colson Montgomery, Oscar Colas, Brian Ramos, Noah Schultz, and Lenin Sosa. Colson Montgomery, number one, we talked about him extensively in previous episodes of the podcast. I just am so excited about Montgomery's future. We listed Oscar Colas at number two and Brian Ramos number three. There's some mixed opinions there because Oscar Colas had been left off several top 100 lists. Brian Ramos, meanwhile, had been mentioned a couple of times and is also referenced to be somebody who is on the precipice of making a massive leap in his development this season. So just talk me through how you're feeling about the way our top five finished up, including Noah Schultz and Lenin Sosa as well. 
Well, there's obviously no disagreement at one. I mean, I will say like we used, this is like the first year I put together something where we used like a prospects points, like format where like I assigned 30 points for all first place votes and one point for all 30th place votes and then kind of tallied them all. And this is what we came up with. Everybody had Colson Montgomery number one. No surprise. We've seen him as high as 15th in all of baseball, I think, by Kylie McDaniel. We talked about Keith Law had him 25th. Baseball America and Pipeline both rank him highly as well. So no issue at at number one there with Colson Montgomery. But I do think some would question... I guess at number two with Oscar Colas and Brian Ramos. Um, we've seen Brian Ramos as high as number 48 on lists um, over with Kylie McDaniel at ESPN. That's higher than any anybody has Oscar Colas. Um, but Oscar Colas is a maybe a rookie of the year candidate who you know, might be the, the leading contender to be the White Sox right fielder. There's good reports on him too. He's obviously a little bit older at 24. You know, proximity to the majors, I think he's going to absolutely mash fastballs. I think that that contributed to, I think, us keeping him at two and then going with Brian Ramos at three. Brian Ramos is getting a lot of love. I think, you know, we've always kind of liked him, too. We've talked about him dating back to playing stateside as a 17-year-old. But Brian Ramos does, in my opinion, like still have to conquer Birmingham and double a and it's something that we've always kind of talked about here and he's got to go there and do that he's on the 40 man so we kind of know how the white Sox feel about him and then like the top pitching prospect in the system i i could see some debate here too just with like how we rank right or how others might like i think noah schultz clearly like the highest upside pitching prospect in the system we have him Number four overall, um, really solid reports out of Instructs. We should see him at Canapolis this year. I know recently I was listening to an episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and some others, and they were like projecting two years out for teams, like which prospect like in their current team's system will be the top prospect in their system two years from now, essentially. And Jim Callis did a whole like few minutes on Noah Schultz being that guy for the White Sox. So I thought that was interesting. And then I think maybe where we deviate a little bit from the consensus and from other outlets is having Lenny and Sosa at five. I think we've, we've kind of talked about just, you know, being big believers in the swing change and he's at Charlotte. So he's also close to the major. So he kind of has both. I think he has room for improvement and he's close to the major. So you know, him slotting in at five, I don't think is that out of the ordinary or crazy, I guess you would say. But, you know, it's definitely higher than most of the other publications I've read have him so far right now. When we talk about the top five, we have a preseason, midseason list. And this top five, I feel like we're going to see some of the names here for a while in future lists because Montgomery has a little bit of ways to go in his development. Maybe this year is his big step to the point where at this time next year, we're thinking, hey, Montgomery might debut in 2024. So expect to see him on at least one more list. Brian Ramos, Noah Schultz, those are still two prospects. Now, Brian Ramos on the 40-man roster should make that clear. Still a little bit of ways to go, but we talk about proximity to the majors, the skills, tools in which allow us to project them to be an elite player, a replacement level player, an above average player, all of that comes into play here. And as you were discussing, you know, deviating from the crowd, Lenin Sosa at five projects to be somebody with his swing changes to offer plus power at his position 
as well as the fact that he is close to becoming a major league regular, hopefully for the Chicago White Sox for the foreseeable future. That leads us to 6 through 10, and just below Lenin, Jose Rodriguez at 6. What does that mean to you? I just think it means that, you know, we just essentially kind of like Sosa a little bit better, but acknowledge that they're very similar and very close to each other. And that look like Rodriguez, like if you told me that Jose Rodriguez was the White Sox second baseman by July, like I, you know, that I don't think that would be that crazy. I think we've debated on other shows and like where Jose Rodriguez even starts the year. I mean, he, he went on this torrid pace at the end of the year at Birmingham you know, that would have said like, for sure he starts in Charlotte, I believe this year. So I, like, I don't really know, like, does he go to Charlotte or does he go to Birmingham? Uh, either way, like he's very close to the big leagues right now, which, you know, I think is kind of been best case scenario for him after signing for $50,000 out of the Dominican Republic or whatever it was years ago. Major League projection in his age 21-22 season. So, And I should mention some of the ages of these players. Colson Montgomery is 20 currently. Oscar Colas, 24. Noah Schultz, 19. Lenin, 23. As we get to 6 through 10, we talk about Jose Rodriguez. That leads us to Christian Mena at 7. Peyton Paulette at 8. Sean Burke at 9. Norhe Vera, 10. Lots of arms there, James. Often we hear about the White Sox struggling in the pitching depth department, and that really does come into play in the immediate sense. But when we start to get to this section of our top 30, there are some intriguing arms, and Sean Burke at nine is one of those guys that we are most likely going to see at the major league level in 2023. So that's extremely exciting. Christian Mena raves all over the place about this player who already had accomplished so much uh, in, in a short amount of time within the White Sox system at a young age. And Payne Paulette, a guy who hadn't pitched last year, he is in the top 10 and could very well be the top pitching prospect in, in the White Sox system. I don't want to discount Noah Schultz because I think he will be there as long as you know he doesn't fall off um, entirely. But Payne Paulette has so much projection that we're excited about this player. He's eight on our list. Yeah, and I think you know Christian Mena is like the safest at this point, which is, which is crazy. Like from where he came from, I think he's going to be at double a and, and we'll see what happens there. Peyton Paulette, obviously, like you said, might be the guy here that I'm the most excited just to like, see what he looks like. And I think he'll be in Kannapolis for the majority of the season. And we'll see how the innings limitations like work for him. Sean Burke. I feel like we, you know, it's like no change for us. Like we still have him right around nine. Cause I think, he is going to be in the majors this year at some point. I think he's a back end starter, but look, it was like a lot of strikeouts this past season. So like if Sean Burke all of a sudden is a big league contributor quickly, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could make the argument then that we're too low at nine, but you know, I'm like, I'm fairly comfortable ranking some of these other guys ahead of him just because of like potential upside, obviously. And then Norhe Vera is the big faller for us. He just, we've talked about it. It's just, he just like hasn't thrown very many innings and it's a big year for him. He likely goes back to Winston Salem. And the biggest thing is going to be just like taking the ball every five or six days and accumulating innings. He only threw 35 innings last year. So, you know, before they would decide to kind of scrap that plan and convert him to relief or something along those lines, like I think he'll be given the opportunity to start regularly. It's something that Chris Getz has alluded to just as far as like don't really worry about the level, I would say, at this point. The most important thing is just like him taking the ball and actually pitching. 
Jorge Vera at this time last year was the number two prospect in the Sox system, in our opinion, and now he's at 10. And like you said, he's got to throw. Listening to Keith Law speak to Jim Margulis, you can go back and listen to that interview at SoxMachine.com. You know, Keith was, uh, he highlighted the fact that at the end of the year, Vera was low to mid-90s, not even mid-90s when he was out there. So we want to see the consistency. That leads us to 11 through 15, James. Some more arms here on this list, and this part of the list. At 11, Jonathan Cannon, recent draft pick, number 12, Matthew Thompson, 13, Yoelki Cespedes, 14, Jared Kelly, and 15, Cole Seamus, who continues to skyrocket in our top 30. So we talked about the development of Jared Kelly on this show because of where he was drafted, the significance of the White Sox committing to a high school arm when they did in 20. He's at 14. Do you think that's right? Do you feel good about having Jared Kelly there at 14 as we listed all of the arms ahead of him? Yeah, I think like up through 11 was easy. I think Cannon's definitely 11. But then after that, I just kind of feel like it's personal preference at this point with like Matthew Thompson, Cole Seamus, Jared Kelly, like that whole group of guys. I mean, I think you could lump Tanner McDougal in there as well. And, you know, Cespedes is right there in that area too. I just, you know, like I've always been high on Jared Kelly. He's had a lot of, you know, just like a lot of issues with his stuff and he's had like conditioning issues and some injuries. Um, but he, he was a little bit better down the stretch. I think, you know, it's a plus fastball that averages 95 still. He's gotten it up to 98, 99. You know, it seems like he's walked more guys than was expected coming in. I feel like he doesn't really use the changeup as an out pitch as much because they were like trying to get him to to work on some other stuff. So it's better than it was. But like I said, like for a lot of these guys, like this is going to be a huge year for Jared Kelly. And I would imagine he's at Winston Salem, but I guess he, I guess he could go to Birmingham, which would be interesting. I just, you know, that that's one of the things that I'll watch. Cause I think there's still, I think there's still a big league future for Jared Kelly, but it could be in the bullpen. Winston would be a challenge for Jared. I mean, let's not discredit you know, the competition at high A at this point and considering you know his career path. You want to see the consistency, and maybe that's the safe call. Well, we'll see him compete in Birmingham, I think, ultimately uh, because of what you just talked about is the upside there. And related to some of these arms, I mean, Jared Kelly's 21, Cannon is 22, Sean Burke is a guy that we're excited about specifically because like in this group of prospects if you look at our list there's so many arms in this bunch Burke is a guy who has a year and a half of professional experience within the White Sox organization and he has the the trajectory to pitch in the big leagues already and some of these guys in 11 through 15 like Cole Seamus who is 23 is quickly moving into the realm of okay we really need to pay attention to this player because he Cole Seamus specifically came out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent and James had so much success that we're including Seamus in the top 15 and before we get to Yolki Cespedes we should include Matthew Thompson as well as a 22 year old who the White Sox believe they've always said he was the most athletic player in the system as a right-handed pitcher too this is where the White Sox you know, we talk about them being at the bottom 10 in terms of ranking across Major League Baseball in their system. Here I am talking out loud about some of these names. There is still some unknown and there is still some development left for us to really feel confident that they could be Major League players. Yeah, and I think this is like the spot too. Like, 
I think like 11 through 20 is the reason why the system's ranked where it is, but it could also be like the reason why the system could be ranked much higher, like at this time next year for some of these guys, right? Like if Matthew Thompson matriculates up to Charlotte and does well there and ultimately makes a big league debut potentially in 2023, I think, I think that's promising. Cole Seamus, I think they've kind of slow played a little bit. There's no reason why he can't be in Birmingham as well. And then we talked about Jared Kelly too. So yeah, I mean, this, this is like an area of the system where, you know, hopefully you see some growth out of these pitchers and then, you know, it really takes a step, you know, Cole Seamus is an undrafted free agent that's made his way to 15 on our list. And I think he's, he's pretty much in the top 15, most places, baseball, America pipeline, everywhere else too. $20,000 free agent in 2021. He was signed for. It's a guy who mid nineties gets it up there around 96 miles an hour. He's 23 years old. That'll play in the big leagues right now. So you want to f- see him fine tune his repertoire. But I-, I wanted to talk about Yoelki Cespedes because he's 25 years old. He's been on multiple lists What's the projection there, James? We still give him credit for being the 13th ranked prospect in the system, but you could just tell by the tone of my voice that I think the expectations have kind of simmered a little bit regarding his profile. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's just like, it's a lot of strikeouts. It's a very high chase rate. I mean, you're talking like 458 at bats at Birmingham, the 154 strikeouts, and he does not walk often you know he did hit 17 home runs though i believe last year i think that's correct so he he's he's a lefty masher i think which is i think like we focus a lot on what uelki cespedes can't do because he was listed as like the number one international prospect which look i kind of like push back against like I, i don't really know that that was ever accurate but if this guy is in the big leagues like in a adam engel role right like I think he he can play all three outfield spots with a really strong throwing arm. He steals bases. He has power. Um, like he can hit lefties. Like if that's the role, like I think that's okay for two million dollars in international bonus pool funds. So yeah, I think I think that's ultimately the role. I think he's you know I I would like to see him in Charlotte this year to see what happens. I don't know that some massive like approach change is going to occur, but I think we could kind of lean into what he is possibly. And uh, that might be an okay guy if we're like willing to accept that that's what it is. It's like the, you know, the short side of a platoon type that offers some defensive versatility. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time on this section of the list because I feel like it's the most intriguing. Now stay tuned because we have 16 through 30 coming up. We even brushed past Jonathan Cannon. Jonathan Cannon is a polished arm, 22 years old, who participated briefly in the White Sox organization last year, is expected to get a full year this year at what we believe is a pretty quick, I think, rise through the ranks, James, across the affiliates. As long as Cannon maintains, I feel like we may be able to see him in Birmingham by the end of the year. Is that too ambitious? No, I don't think so. I think he goes right to Winston-Salem, I think, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's he's polished. I think, he, you know, you call him high floor, I think, right? Because he projects as a durable, like, kind of back-end type, throws a lot of strikes, pounds the zone, but... You know, I do think like he he has the ability to be a little bit better than that. I mean, he there was some rumors, I guess, or like just some talk that he could have been like a first round guy. 
out of Georgia, and then he ended up going in the third round. I mean, the White Sox obviously paid him big money. They paid him 925 k to fall to them, essentially, so they really like him. But, yeah, I mean, this is a guy to to get excited about. It, repeatable delivery and consistent release point. So it's kind of he kind of reminds me of Dane Dunning a little bit, I feel like. I'm excited about so many of these arms um, because there's a lot of unknown, yes, but the upside you could see in so many of their skill sets. You know, individually, they're there's something that you can really focus on and say, yeah, there is something there. And to say Jonathan Cannon has a high floor, I think that is absolutely on the money. So Cannon was our 11th ranked prospect. We'll go through our final 16 through 30 on the list here in our top 30 when we come back. You also will hear James just missed. That's a section of our top 30 coverage where there's a number of prospects that were not included in the top 30, but were definitely worth a mention. James put together 20 names. So you'll want to stick around for some that really stuck out to him. And you'll want to go to futuresocks.com, of course, to read what he wrote. When we come back, we will talk about the rest of the list here on the Future Sox's preseason top 30. If you're a patron listener, stay right here. We're not going anywhere for you. Coming right back. But if not, you got some commercials coming your way. Think about becoming a patron. Go to SoxMachine.com and read all the information that um, is there available to you to become a patron. So thanks for your support. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks for your interest in Future Sox and the Sox Machine top 30 White Sox prospects list. Wes Kath, Ryan Burroughs, Jordan Sprinkle, Tanner McDougal, Wilfred Veras. Now that is an impressive 16 through 20. That's maybe some names, James, that the listener uh, may not be too familiar with considering, you know, a lot of these new Ryan Burroughs has a lot of intrigue from those that we spoke to here on the Future Sox podcast. Tanner McDougal's upside, I think, is through the roof. Let's talk through this a little bit. First and foremost, credit to Wes Kath and the season that he put together last year. There was some concern uh, heading into the midseason that maybe he was a bit overwhelmed with the competition level straight out of high school as a draft pick. He really came into his own, showcased the strength in his build, and put together a performance that I think would leave us excited, Sox observers excited, specifically within his power profile. Yeah, so Wes Kath, like, you know, the Sox took him in the second round, paid him $1.8 million, you know, it's like back-end, I mean, well, it's not really back-end first-round money, but it's close. But they, he, he was apparently under consideration for their pick, like, if Montgomery weren't there. They saw him really close to their spring training facility, he played at Desert Mountain High in, in Scottsdale, you know, and he was one of, like, the better hitters in the prep class. So I will say, like, I think I've been a little bit down on Wes Kath just because of, like, the strikeouts and people that we talked to, but then I like dug into the numbers a little bit and it's really like not that bad. Like he went to project Birmingham and tanked, but like he had no reason to be in project Birmingham in the first place, probably. So, you know, I would think he goes to Winston Salem. The good thing is he had a 13.4% walk rate in a ball, right? He hit 238, 343, 397 overall with a 109 WRC plus in Kannapolis. Now the, the part that I found more interesting was that in August, he hit 263, 382, 544, and that's when he hit six of his 13 homers. So I think, like, you know, the indication there would be that he did, like, get better as the season went along and did kind of um, what he was supposed to. It's a really pretty swing. He does look kind of big and lumbering, so if he ended up at first, it wouldn't be terribly surprising, but right up seemed to think, like, okay defensively at third after playing shortstop in high school. So I think he, I think he goes out to Winston Salem, you know, me too. Like 
for this next guy, like Ryan Burroughs, I'm always looking for like diamonds in the rough in the DSL. I think the first thing that jumped out to me was the 120 WRC plus down there with, with like a high walk rate. And then you hear that, you know, he could play shortstop. And then he starts popping up on all these other lists too, after signing for $70,000 out of Panama. And, you know, it always intrigues me when media types say that this is one of the guys that other teams have brought up in trade talks, which I think is promising. So, you know, he's on this list. I think he'll be on future lists. I think he'll be on other people's lists. So Ryan Burroughs, I think, you know, a guy to keep an eye on. Um, Jordan Sprinkle is a draft pick this year. I, you know, I know that you're a fan of. We got to see how Jordan Sprinkle hits. But, I mean, look, he could he could be at either Kannapolis or Winston, I would think. And then Tanner McDougal is really exciting. This is kind of like, you know, we talked about on our on our previous show Keith Law talking about how it's always smart to to pop the fifth or sixth round high school pitcher if you can afford it, right? Because it's you you basically get the same upside, but you don't get the same amount of risk as you do, like spending two million dollars like on a first round pick or second round pick that you really need to hit on. So, you know, I'm curious to see Tanner McDougal pitch in Kannapolis. I will say, like our our write up for people to read says that, you know, the fastball is right back up to 96 this fall in instructs with the same breaking pitches that Mike Shirley kind of went gaga over. So I think this is, this is a guy that's interesting. And then just briefly, like, you know, I had read and reached out to some people that kind of said like one of their big things with him, like was changing the delivery a little bit to like smooth out, like some of the head whack that he has at like his finish. So he might, he might actually look a little bit different when we see him for the first time too. And some of those names, James, like we were discussing, you know, Ryan Burroughs is that shortstop. You want to fill your organization with that type of profile. I mean, he had plus grades on all of his tools. So like first and foremost, that stood out to me. And you talk about Jordan Sprinkle in the shortstop uh, side of things. The athleticism really jumped off the page at us when he was drafted. I mean, that was that was the drawing point to the White Sox decision to sign him. We want to be able to believe in the projection at this point with Burroughs and Sprinkle. And that's why we ranked him as high as we did at 17 and 18. And we talk about Tanner McDougal. This is somebody who, yeah, it's one of those things. So we're understanding a new process in the way that the White Sox are building their organization. They're not afraid of Tommy John surgery. Peyton Pellett is an example that we mentioned already in the past. Tanner McDougal had Tommy John surgery, and they believe that he can overcome that. He's throwing already. He will be throwing this year at an affiliate. I'm looking forward to the development of his pitch mix. The curveball jumped off the page uh, immediately as a high school athlete. So McDougal is one of those high upside high school arms that, in my opinion, will shoot up the uh, up the list. Now, this is the same person telling you that McDougal is going to shoot up the list, and I was the guy who said that uh, Andrew Dahlquist was somebody that everybody should be keeping an eye on. Not to knock Andrew Dahlquist, we just know what is Dahlquist to this point of his career. And we're going to talk about him here shortly because he did make the Future Sox top 30. But it's just an example of the risk involved in taking prep arms. There's a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Volatility. Yeah, there's a lot of volatility there. Thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Now, Wilfred Veres, James, put on size, a lot of hit projection there. I'm curious to see where he ends up as a defensive player in the White Sox organization this year. But he rounds out the 16 through 20 
Westcath, Ryan Burroughs, Jordan Sprinkle, Tanner McDougall, and Wilfred Varis there. When we continue on to this list, the next group of five includes Lydell Chapei, Eric Hernandez, Tyler Schweitzer, Luis Mieses, and Jonathan Stever. Jonathan Stever, a name I'm sure you're familiar with to this point. But Chapei had rave reviews from our guy Bill Mitchell. He believes he's uh, capable. He's older, too, at 21 years old. Chapei is able to handle whatever level of competition the White Sox decide to put him in, James. But that's a profile that I think will translate because, you know, he could play anywhere, it seems, and the hit tools um, suggest that he's able to handle whatever level that he'll be assigned to, especially considering the success that he had in his first professional season with the White Sox. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see how he does and where they start him. I mean, my guess is he could go to Winston just because there's so many young infielders that might have to go to Kannapolis. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a little bit older. He's more advanced. We, we talked a ton about how he was really tough to rank and talk about just because of the numbers that he put up in the Dominican Summer League. I mean, 344, 448, 636 in the Dominican Summer League playing against guys very like, you know, that were mostly two years younger than him. Um, he's... He's listed at 5'8", I think, which means he might be even smaller than that. He's kind of like a thicker, like Juan Pierre is like kind of how he looks. But yeah, he does have some power. The White Sox have primarily played him at second. So he could very likely be the second baseman at Winston-Salem, I think, to open the season. You know, some other international types that you talked about. We talked a lot about Eric Hernandez. I think it was a rough first season for a 17-year-old. They got a million dollars to sign out of the Dominican Republic as a teenager. It's not something that the White Sox have done terribly often, but you know, it seems like people that we've talked to, they kind of think the knee injury really hampered him down the stretch, and he was in instructional league looking kind of back to normal. So you know, he'll make his stateside debut, and I'm curious to see if he starts out full season or not, or whether they, you know, they start him in like the extended spring thing or whatever, and then go to Kannapolis after that. I'm, I'm not really sure, but there's a lot of these lower level names that are interesting to see where they're going to start. Now there's a lot of love given to Tyler Schweitzer around these parts and, you know, a reliever at Ball State. He, he pitched three years at the university and the White Sox now envision a 22 year old left-handed pitcher to skyrocket through their system. This will be a fascinating year for Schweitzer. I think you, you take this year to evaluate, but we have him at 23. Other publications have him higher, some even in the top 15. I think Schweitzer is a sleeper on this list. As long as he's able to handle the level of competition across a full season, you want to see him pitch because this will be his first experience pitching professionally. That's somebody I think uh, should definitely be kept in mind. Luis Mieses is a name that's been on top 30 lists it seems like for years, James, on the future Sox side of things. And Luis Mieses, I think, has put on some weight because it seems like his power projection suggests that like, that's his main skill set at this point, the power at the plate, his hit tools. What's going on? What do you know about Luis Mieses at this point of his career? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the strong side of a platoon type. I mean, he's, he's never really shown an ability, I would say, to hit left-handed pitching. I guess the other red flag with him is just how big he got and the White Sox list him as an infielder as his like he's an invite to spring training which makes me fear that he's like moving to first base I mean I think he's listed at like 6'3 230 and he might be even bigger than that I will say he's he's shown the ability to hit right-handed pitching though which is promising at either spot obviously so um, he is a below average runner 
Baseball America specifically said speed is not part of his game, but he's not a base clogger. You know, we'll see. I think we'll see him in big league spring training and kind of see how that looks. My guess is he's back in Birmingham would be my guess. And then briefly, like touching on Schweitzer, you know, like I always find these guys interesting. Like he was drafted in the fifth round out of Ball State. He was a reliever for two years and then he was converted um, to the rotation so he's always he he always kind of had like a low nineties fastball that still found a way to miss bats up in the zone with high spin rates um, and vertical movement. But apparently, you know, like the White Sox didn't pitch him at all um, after he was drafted, and they sent him right to instructs. And while pitchability will carry his profile a little bit, apparently he was touching like ninety six with life and spin up in the zone during instructional league outings this past fall. So. Yeah, I mean, like he's another guy who, where if he's with Cannon and High A, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. And if he's in Kannapolis, I don't think he'll be in Kannapolis for long because I think it'll kind of be like a little bit similar to Christian Mano, where it'll just be like he's just going to carve up A ball hitters that like shouldn't be down there. And then we'll find out a lot more about him, like as he moves through to the higher levels. A 22 year old arm with not a lot of mileage. So keep an eye on Tyler Schweitzer, that's for sure. Also, Jonathan Stever. Shout out Jonathan Stever. Looking forward to him to pitch again. He's at 25 to round out that section of our list. Now, James, the bottom five, no disrespect, but the fact that they're on the White Sox, uh, our version of the White Sox top 30 list, is definitely worth mentioning. This is a name that I think uh, many people may be surprised to hear at number 26, Yolbert Sanchez. He's still being considered. Previously, we had him ranked pretty high because the projection suggested he could play you know, second base and then his ability to hit about a year ago, the numbers that he was putting up suggested that, yeah, the bat is coming around too. So Yolbert Sanchez projects to not only be able to play anywhere on the infield, but he can handle pitching. But things have started to tail off a little bit in Yolbert Sanchez's game, and he's still worth mentioning. But the depth that the White Sox have in the middle infield at this point suggests that Yolbert Sanchez has to really turn some heads this year to really be considered ahead of any of those guys because you're not really looking at a spot on the 40-man roster in the immediate sense. And that's just my concern with Yolbert. Uh, We'll get to him shortly. But Gregory Santos, Franklin German, Andrew Dahlquist at 29, and Terrell Tatum at 30, that rounds out the list. German and Santos, two guys that the White Sox acquired this offseason, both previously recognized as top 30 prospects. And also, their stuff is good enough to be recognized on this list as well. Yolbert at 26, Santos 27, Jermaine 28, was 29, and Tatum at 30. Wherever you want to start, James, give me your thoughts on some of those names on the list. Yeah, so I think Santos is interesting. I mean, he was ranked in the, in the Giants system. I mean, it's just another one of these guys who was a failed starter that they moved to relief, but 70 grade fastball and a 70 grade slider, like as a two pitch guy in the bullpen, you know, one thing it seems like he doesn't strike out as many guys as he should like with his stuff. Um, you know, he served a PED suspension. I think he was what he was DFA'd by the giants earlier this year and the white Sox sent Cade McClure for him. But one interesting note on him, he tallied a 42% strikeout rate using his slider. So like the overall strikeout totals haven't been great, but his slider apparently pretty nasty. Um, He likely begins the year, I think, throwing high leverage relief innings for Charlotte because he does have options. I think Franklin German is similar with multiple plus pitches. That's a bullpen profile. Both guys very likely 
to be at the White Sox AAA affiliate. And then, you know, you mentioned Yolbert. He just, you know, he just hasn't impacted the baseball offensively. He can play everywhere. Defensively, the whole league had a crack at him in the Rule 5 and just kind of, you know, he he stayed with the White Sox because I just kind of feel like lots of teams have guys similar to Yolbert Sanchez. But he's at Charlotte knocking on the door to the big leagues but unless like he profiles a little bit better offensively, I just, I don't know if I really see much room for him. And then Andrew Dahlquist, you know, nothing has really gone right for Andrew Dahlquist, but I will say like, you know, he finished the year at Birmingham. He's sitting 92 to 95. He had his best start of his career last year to like end the year in Birmingham. So I guess we'll see how that goes this year and see if he can get back on track at all. Cause like, I'm not really even sure if, like, Dahlquist went to the bullpen, if it would really change anything. I know, like, some guys go to the pen and the stuff plays up and you use two pitches. Like, that's not really the problem. His problem's fastball command, and, you know, until that gets straightened out, like, I'm just not really sure where that leaves him. And then Terrell Tatum's interesting just because he hasn't really played that much. Like, I kind of thought he was, like, a throwaway, like, 16th-round selection out of NC State. Like, a lot of times teams just draft, like, these org, org guys to play for – your affiliates, but I mean, he's actually performed pretty well when he's played. I mean, a 119 WRC plus in high A. I would imagine he'll be in double A this year. And, you know, we always talk about double A. We'll uh, see how he goes and it'll determine like how much of an actual prospect Terrell Tatum is. Quickly on Andrew Dahlquist, I mean, he threw over 80 innings last year. And the fact that, you know, we had such high projection for Andrew Dahlquist when he was drafted. There was no reason for us to completely leave him off the list because I think if things go similarly to the way they did last year, and then yeah, we're going to have a conversation about that. But I, I still think that Dahlquist has a chance if he's able to polish his command up to be uh, in the mix here, to be considered a serious contender to pitch on the White Sox someday. So just give it some time. Let him work. That's our top 30 list. James, thanks for all your hard work and everybody at Future Sox for their help. And, of course, you, the listener, for caring, participating. I wanted to talk to you, James, about the Just Miss list. What is it that made you want to do this? <laughs> because you, you typically do it every year. Uh, what's the motivation there? I know you talk about Ryan Burroughs as an example of a diamond in the rough, but there's a number of names on the White Sox Just Miss list that you put together at SoxMachine.com, 20 of them to be exact. Who are some of the names that you liked, and, and why did you want to make this list? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just like feel an obligation to make it every year. Um, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Coming up with 20 was like a little bit tougher, I guess, this year. It is like a lot of relievers, I will say, on the list. But, you know, one of the guys, like it's alphabetical order, so it's not in any other order other than that. And one of the guys that we've kind of heard a lot about is Eric Adler, was a member of their most recent draft class. He kind of profiles as, you know, a high upside, high leverage type guy that's just walked a bunch of guys in college. He was a six-rounder out of Wake Forest. So, like, I think he's interesting. AJ Alexi and Nicholas Padilla, and then the Rule 5 guy, Nick Avila, those are all guys that we've, like, talked about a lot this offseason. You know, they're all on a list like this, obviously. And, you know, the guy who I found the most interesting, Jacob Burke, I'll have more on him within the next couple of weeks, just a physical outfielder from Miami that was given $225,000 to sign with the White Sox. He's he's on our just miss list. And then, you know, a whole host of other relievers. Declan Cronin is like a data darling um, that, you know, a lot of stat heads like. And Duke Ellis has been on these lists before. Some guys that have fallen, like Caleb Freeman, 
obviously is on this list and a guy like DJ Gladney and look, Adam Hackenberg, I think we easily um, could have ranked, you know, he might be their best prospect catcher that they have. So yeah, he's on, he's on a list like this too. And then, you know, just Carlos Perez is here and, you know, coming up with 20 names is, is always interesting. Um, I did it again. If it's something you're interested in, go ahead uh, on over to Sox machine or future Sox and read about the 20 guys that, you know, we kind of talked about in some fashion, but didn't make our list this year. You could also check James out on Twitter at James Fox 917. I'm at Rankin 906. Follow us at Future Socks and shout out DJ Glandy, uh, somebody who did not make the top 30. We had a discussion potentially to include him. Same with Adam Hackenberg, but Gladney specifically, keep your antennas up because those who I talk to within the White Sox organization continue to reference his biomechanics. And he's got a lot of pop. There's some athleticism in his frame. So if if things click for Gladney, that's another player that we could be excited about. But, you know, prospects are who knows? Who knows? But we love doing it. We do it every year. We do it twice a year. The preseason, I feel like, is so much more fun to do than the midseason. The midseason, yeah, we have uh, a lot more information considering you know, all the data and, and the numbers and the video and all that and progress. Sure. Yeah, that's great. But the optimism reigns supreme in the preseason 2023 White Sox list. So there's a lot of names here that you may not be familiar with. And there are some names that you are familiar with. I think it's a beautiful thing that the White Sox at this current moment have so many names that we can say, yes, there's a lot of upside that could propel them up, but there is some volatility. You don't know what's going to happen. I think the White Sox, though, are in a healthy spot within their organization, especially considering the timeline since the graduations of a number of prospects, including Andrew Vaughn and those types um, who are now participating at the big league level. They essentially had to start at ground zero. Now we're looking at 2023. An opportunity, James, to see this White Sox top 30 get moved up in organizational rankings across Major League Baseball, hopefully by this time next year. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn never made a just miss list though. So right. you know, I will say that. Like he was he was Bennett Sousa did though. I think Bennett Sousa was on last year. So that's a guy that came up like some of these guys will be on the big league team this year from this just miss list. It happens all the time. That's our White Sox top thirty show. I hope you enjoy. Go to SoxMachine.com, read the full list. A lot of work gets put into this every year. So we really appreciate the support. Become a patron if you're willing and if you're able. That's James Fox. My name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Future Sox Podcast. More content for you all year. We do it every Tuesday on the Future Sox Podcast, part of SoxMachine.com and the Blue Wire Network. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.